You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Well, you know, often associated with New Year's are resolutions. Uh, But according to a recent survey, one-third of Americans no longer will set New Year resolutions because they're confident they cannot keep them. The two-thirds that will set some kind of resolution, 80% will fail in keeping whatever resolution they have sought to make. What a far contrast between a man who's considered one of America's greatest theologians and pastors, Jonathan Edwards, who as a young man, 19 to into his 20th year, came up with 70 resolutions that he periodically throughout the rest of his life would look at to gauge his spiritual progress. If you've not read through them, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, It's something I do every New Year's, uh, just to read through them and think about them. But to give you just a a glimpse, here's resolution number four from Jonathan Edwards. Again, think of a a 20-year-old man writing this. Resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God, nor be nor suffer it, if I can avoid it. And I think somewhere there's an appropriate balance. What's the biblical approach to resolutions? Is there an approach that we can come upon that is biblical, that is well-balanced, and also relevant to every single believer. Uh, And you probably will expect me to say, of course there is, otherwise there'd be no sermon today. Uh, So I want you to look at Philippians chapter one in this opening words of the chapter. Uh, In verses one through 11, you have just first Paul's general greeting, verses one and two, and then three through 11, his words of thankfulness, and then sort of verses nine through 11, his actual prayer for the church. But I'm confident that as we look at this closely, we'll see in here three everyday resolutions that if if we seek to apply these, will revolutionize our personal walk with God and dramatically change any church that also applies them. So notice verses one and two in the opening salutation or greeting. Paul refers to himself and Timothy, who may have served as the scribe of this letter, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the first resolution I think we all would do well to make, and that is every day resolve to give thanks for your salvation. Every day resolve to give thanks for your salvation. Because notice how Paul connects with this congregation. Um, If you have read Acts 16 anytime recently, that's the founding of the church of Philippi. So this is a congregation that Paul has very intimate relationship with. Uh, That's evident in this letter. But notice how he identifies himself. He says, we're simply servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is true for each one of us in Christ. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're we're no longer slaves to sin. 
we are now slaves or servants of righteousness. And I think that tells us something that in this letter, Paul does not begin like he needs to in some letters to put out there he is an apostle. He is an apostle, but he doesn't need to stress that in this letter. He needs to say to them, look, I, I am a servant here. And what he's saying of himself is equally true of anyone in that congregation who also knows Christ as her Lord and Savior. They are servants. So when you think of resolving to thank God for your salvation, to just think about the fact that now you are a servant of God. But he goes on and also tells us about some of the privileges that come that are true, not just if you're an apostle, but for every single believer. Notice in verse 1, he mentions to all the saints in Christ at Philippi. To be a saint means you have been set apart. You are holy in God's sight through Jesus Christ. And I don't know if that's the first thought that comes to you when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror. Probably not. But we need to remind ourselves we are saints in Christ Jesus. So what Paul is saying is true of him and Timothy is true of every single person in that congregation who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. But then he also adds to that greeting that we are recipients of grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you considered in the Christian life not just that you have received grace for salvation, but you've received sanctifying grace enabling us to continue to grow in Christ. Uh, you've received peace, not just a vertical peace between you and God now through Christ. You do have peace with God, but you also have the peace of God that reigns in your heart and mind, which is why even as a congregation, we can voice praises for those difficult times this past year, because in the midst of that, we can say we have experienced the peace of God. That it just goes deeper during those difficult times. Uh, it gets broader. It covers more in our lives. So Paul begins by simply saying, resolve to give thanks every day for your salvation in Christ Jesus. Now you may be wondering, well, is this kind of a unique situation that he needs to tell the church in Philippi, you need to do this? Well, look at the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. And Philippians is a prison epistle. So Paul's writing Philippians when he's in prison, uh, possibly in Rome, maybe Caesarea or Ephesus, we're not sure. Uh, Ephesians is another prison epistle, but one that is later on in Paul's life and ministry. And yet, even here, in writing to a different congregation in a different time, he still reminds them of what is theirs in Christ. In other words, he puts that right in the front of the letter. Think about the fact that you have been saved. So you notice in Ephesians 1, you can read through the entire first 14 verses, but let me just draw attention to verse 3 and then verses 13 and 14. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
So if you want something to think about every day, just think about this verse. You have these blessings in Christ. And then Paul will expand on what those blessings are. Then you get to verses 13 and 14. And there he concludes and says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So here he brings back, this is the reality for all those who know Christ as their Savior and Lord. Many of you may know that every Saturday morning I typically call my mom just to talk with her. She misses her favorite child. And um, when, when I talk with her, you may know that over this past year that she's lost the vision in one eye. Uh, she does not complain about that at all. Uh, she is thankful for God's provision for her. But the one comment she'll often make is that she is so glad she's home. And notice that what that means is her entire perspective of her situation is different because of the security that she ultimately has in Christ, but that reminder that she's in her own home. Which kind of tells us, no matter what your situation is, no matter what your circumstances have been this past year, will be in 2019, we can always still resolve to give thanks for our salvation in Christ. Because none of those other issues, those blessings that are ours, are changed or affected by our circumstances. So that's the first resolution that is applicable to each one of us. But then go back to Philippians, and let's look a little more closely at verses 3 through 5. Because here I believe Paul gives us a second worthy resolution. And that is every day resolve to thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Every day resolve to thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So notice he begins in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Uh, we know that Paul speaks a lot about his prayer life, who he's praying for. We have glimpses into how he's praying for them. Uh, but when he says, I thank God every time I think of you, this is not just sort of a fluffy thank. I get a warm feeling in my stomach. But, but I'm thanking God. I'm expressing my joy ultimately to God for those that he has placed in my life. Now, Paul will return to see visit this church on other occasions. But when he is absent from them, he sees the significance of his bond with them in Christ. So he gives thanks for them. Notice verses 4 and 5 tells you a little bit more about why he is so thankful. Not that they make his life easy, but in verse 4 and 5, he says the following. Uh, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And you want to emphasize that word, your partnership in the gospel. Paul says, you are co-laborers with me. Uh, you, we're in communion together. We're, we're in this 
together. I'm a servant of Christ and I'm all in and you're all in as well in spreading this news. And if you were to read in Acts 16, the founding of this church, you see immediately there is a, an enthusiasm they have when they hear the message that Paul delivers to them. God opens Lydia's heart and she comes to know Christ and then she tells them and begs him, stay, tell us more. Then you have the Philippian jailer who comes to Christ. And then the fact Paul will be forced to leave the city because of opposition, but he leaves a strong foundation there. And he's seeing the outgrowth of their partnership in the gospel. And I don't think there's anything that probably gives a pastor a greater joy than seeing the partnership of a congregation in the gospel. That not just we receive the message, but we desire to spread the message. We, we speak of God often. We speak of his love for us. We, we, we have a contagious enthusiasm about us because of who God is and what we're learning about him all the time. So to resolve to give thanks for our brothers and sisters in Christ is to start to plug in those people that we can acknowledge that God has placed around us who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, our partners in the gospel. Notice in the verse 1, he references the overseers and deacons. Paul's not just thankful for those that, that intimately are, are maybe known to him, but those who are doing the work of the Lord in the churches. How often do, do you pray for your spiritual leaders? Not, not just me, but, but for others that serve on committees, boards, our deacons, other times our elders, that we, we pray for these individuals. Paul says these are the people we should be giving thanks for. And be very specific. Because Paul is, uh, in this letter, go to chapter 2, and you see a section beginning of verse 19, where, where Paul is going to commend and say, I, I want to tell you how thankful I am for 1 Timothy. Uh, and, and consider these words of praise coming from the Apostle Paul. Verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Now, Paul is thankful for, for all of the brothers and sisters in Christ. He is not someone that's out there just on his own. Like we sometimes seem to emphasize when we say, well, the, the mission trips of Paul, Paul's ministry. We're forgetting a host of believers that make up that ministry team and that effectiveness in these churches he's planted. So here he says, you know, I, I have nothing better to say about Timothy. That, that's why I'm going to send him to you. I'm sending my best to help meet your needs. But then he also goes on to mention Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is one of the reasons why Paul writes this letter. The church in Philippi has sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a gift. Maybe it's food, maybe it was financial. We really don't know the nature of the exact gift. But you see in verses 25 through 30, the praise that he now directs to Epaphroditus. He says, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. 
And then go down to verse 29. He says, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Paul is extremely thankful for Epaphroditus. He says, this, this is a guy that you, you want to praise and honor because he's, he's devoted himself to serving Christ. How thankful we should be for those that God has placed around us. And could we say, like Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 7, where he says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, that you are a part of my deepest affections, that you share with me, that you are partners with me in the grace that God has given to each of us. Paul's not picking favorites here. He's not just saying, well, I'm really thankful for the believers that have similar personalities to me or those that are my big financial givers who kind of support my ministry financially. I'm thankful for every single believer who shares in God's grace with me. So a simple resolution, but one that will change our entire perspective and relationship with those around us. Every day resolve to give thanks for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then there's a third resolution in verses 8 through 10. Every day resolve to increase your spiritual progress. I mentioned Jonathan Edwards earlier, how he would take these resolutions and periodically he would review them uh, in sections. And once a year, he would just take a whole day to review all 70. And, and say, am I making progress? And you might kind of read that and say, wow, Jonathan Edwards was questioning, was he making progress? Wouldn't that be like Paul saying, am I making progress? But yet you see in both these individuals that every day they resolved to make further progress in Christ. So notice verse 8 of Philippians 1. Paul puts this in the form of, of an oath uh, to show his seriousness and in sincerity. In verse 8, he says, God can testify how, long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying here, you can tell my heart beats like Christ's heart beats that my affections, my will, match the will of Christ. Now, he was not being arrogant here, because in the next chapter, he mentions, I know I haven't attained where I should be yet. I have so much further to go, and I'm, I'm going to continue to press on. So that gives you that balanced perspective. Should we desire greater spiritual progress in our own walk with Christ? Absolutely. None of us can say we've already attained completion in this life. But knowing that shouldn't make us complacent, but should motivate us, encourage us to pursue Christ's likeness. Can, can others say that of us, that I see in you the very affections of Christ?
I can see the love of Christ. I can see the holiness that, that Christ demands from his children. I can see the grace and the mercy of Christ in your words and in your actions. Spiritual progress for the believer is both a work of the Holy Spirit and the believer. So unlike our justification, you're declared righteous by what God has done for you through Christ. You did not do anything, contribute anything. It's very important that we get a right understanding here of what does it mean to pursue spiritual growth. One of the reasons most people say that they cannot keep their resolutions is they will say, I, I don't have enough willpower. We're not talking about willpower here when it comes to spiritual progress and resolutions. We're, we're talking about the role of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer as you yield and surrender more and more. Uh, to, to kind of work this out, notice verse 6. Philippians 1, a very familiar passage. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That sets us in perspective. We have been called saints, and now will God abandon the work that he has started in us? Absolutely not. Now, does this mean Paul at times needed to remind himself of this? Well, read Romans 7, and I would say absolutely. Paul knew he was still the chief of sinners. He never forgot how he had been saved by grace. And so for him to tell a congregation, I'm confident of this in your life, we can assume, Paul's saying, I'm, I'm confident of that in my life. But then flip over to Philippians 2, and we don't want to assume here that just means you have no responsibility in this spiritual growth. Because in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, you see the, the synergistic part of the response of the believer in this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So there you have it. We are to not work for our salvation. We already have that in Christ. But we are to see it being worked out in our life. And that is a result of continued yieldedness on the part of the believer. So if you're resisting some of the ways in which spiritual growth can happen, um, then you are sinning. You need to confess that and take the appropriate steps. And the steps are kind of given to us in Paul's prayer for the church. In other words, we shouldn't think continual advancement and spiritual progress is going to come through magnificent and miraculous things. In fact, it's going to take place through ordinary acts and spiritual graces. In other words, we always are looking for what's the secret. There are many people who are approaching New Year's resolutions with wanting to lose weight, want to find what's the quickest, the easiest way to do this. Well, the answer to how do you grow spiritually, how do you make constant progress, a little bit more each day, 
Well, he tells you, notice in verse 9, Paul says, and this is my prayer. Simply, are we spending time in prayer? Are you looking at how you can increase that? Not be settling for a certain amount of time, which is sometimes what we're always looking for. Oh, I have to pray? How long? What do you mean? Like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15? Just give me a number and I'll try to shoot for that. No, are you looking at just deepening your prayer life? And, and how you're praying? That's clearly one of the ways Paul indicates his growth in Christ is how he prays for his brothers and sisters in Christ. But then you look further in that passage, what he prays for them, that your love may abound more and more. Do we have, or should we have, an increasing hunger to want to spend time with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Both we want to spend time with them, and we also do want to and need to reach the lost. But you don't miss here Paul's desire. He wants to connect with these believers. He, he, he wants to be able to visit them. You know, is, is that part of our life as we, you know, spend our time between Sunday and Sunday? Are, are we looking at, praying for each other, wanting to have that fellowship uh, stretched? Throughout this letter, Paul will reference things about the, the unity of the church at Philippi how he's very concerned about that. And even speaks of two women that are kind of arguing and says, you, you, gotta, you gotta get them to remember they're one in Christ. But then he goes on as well in his prayer, notice he speaks of love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. We need people, we need Christians who increasingly are growing in the knowledge and discernment of biblical truth. That should be something all of us want to see in our lives, increasingly so. But how does that happen? Small steps, faithfully reading God's word. When you miss a day, when you miss it, confess it and pick right back up. Don't, don't beat yourself down and be like, well, there's no sense continuing because I'm off the schedule now, of, you know, a Bible reading plan. No, 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 just continue on. But how do you get a growing knowledge of Scripture? Piece by piece, line upon line, precept upon precept. Every once in a while, I'll have someone mention something uh, in reference to a verse. And they'll be like, where's that verse come from? And I'll say, oh, it's in such and such a place. And they'll kind of look at me like, well, how did you know that? And I said, well, I've probably spent a lot of time reading it. It, it doesn't just come naturally. It's not just because I have a good memory as I've spent, hopefully, hours studying God's Word. And you should expect that from your pastor, but I should also expect that in increasing dimensions from all of you. These are ordinary activities, spiritual means of grace that God has given each of us to make constant progress step by step. Notice in verse 10 he says, so that you may discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the time of Christ. The phrase pure and blameless means tested and approved. And it comes from the field of metallurgy where you take metal and you heat it up to burn out its impurities 
So it's stronger as a result. How do you get that kind of wisdom, that kind of knowledge, so that your character, your faith, when Christ returns, is tested and pure through trials, through difficulties, through spending time in prayer, fellowship, worship, reading, and reflecting on God's Word. What will that look like? Well, get to verse 11. As he's rounding out his prayer, he says that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise or to the glory and praise of God. A life transformed, how? Through daily resolving to show and make increased spiritual progress. And we'll all be at different points in that continuum. Paul recognizes that for those in Philippi. He doesn't say, by the time I visit you, I want you all at this point, just like I am. He says, no, no, as long as we're all moving in the right direction, becoming more and more filled with the fruit of righteousness. So three everyday resolutions that are very different from New Year's resolutions. Because typically New Year resolutions are all about us. I want to lose weight. I want to eat better. I want to maybe pick up some new hobbies, hobbies, make some new friends. That's all about you. It's all about me. But not spiritual resolutions. And so may we take from this prayer something that we will have stick with us every day throughout 2019. Let's pray. Our gracious God, take your word, apply it where it needs to be applied in our lives. May we be willing to be stretched by it, to not make excuses for failing, to obey you completely. Thank you that you are a gracious and a patient God. Remind us every day how thankful we should be because we belong to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.